Anybody forget what day it is this week? That, that, that week in between Christmas and New Year's is always kind of a weird time for your, you know, your um, work schedule gets messed up. You, you go into work on Tuesday or Wednesday instead of Monday, and, and some of you guys are still feeling that. But hey, we survived Christmas, right? You made it. Proud of you. Uh, isn't, that, isn't that funny that we, we say that? Oh, let me get this back up here. Uh, I was uh, in the doctor's office this week, and, and of course, they were, how's your Christmas? Oh, good. How was yours? Well, I'm just glad it's done. Anybody feel that? Yeah, we, we kind of get that way, right? The, the, the time that's supposed to be about family and celebration and traditions and uh, all those good things, uh, the birth of our Savior and celebrating Jesus uh, is kind of quickly overshadowed by all the not-so-good things like, you know, crazy family and weird aunts and uncles and um, family conflicts, more serious stuff, you know, things that are unresolved or, or you know, uh, the loss of loved ones, the sadness of unmet expectations, or, or maybe your life is different than it was last year and, and you're dwelling on that and, and really just the temptation that we have to... to go into Christmas in, in the all things worldly realm and not focus on Jesus. And so some of us get to that point where we say, man, I'm just glad it's over. Uh, because it is a lot and it is tough. And, and to all of you, I would say, man, I am so glad you're here today. Um, I get it and, and I know how it can be. And I'm glad that you've chosen this day to come and to celebrate and to worship uh, as we look forward to as Ross said, 2024, which blows my mind a little bit. You know, when I was young in the 90s growing up, video games were just getting popular and any like war or kind of that stuff game was either, you know, past like World War stuff or it was 2020. You know, like that was so far in the future, like, and it was always weird alien stuff, you know. But here we are in 2023, almost four. And the world is still spinning, and God is still good, and He is still faithful. And so we're going to talk about that today. I'm glad you're here, as I said, because one of the, one of the questions that I hear all the time um, as we reflect on a new year, as we, we begin to look at our lives, we begin to think about the goals that we have. I mean, it's a great time for that to happen, isn't it? Uh, everybody is talking about, what are you doing for New Year's? What's your New Year's resolution? Everybody talks about it every year, and, and you go to work out if you've been there before, and, and all the gyms will be full. And, and that's great, because this is the year we're going to do it. We're going to lose that 20 pounds we've been hanging on to since freshman year of college. And, and it's going to happen, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited for you, us guys. We, we're going to do it this year, right? Um, but everything's, everything's about new and fresh, and we're looking at it, and we're thinking about it. And it's a great time to do that spiritually. I don't know why we wouldn't do that spiritually as well, right? And so it's a great time to ask questions like, how did I see God actively working in my life this year? Or how did I see God working in the background? How, how can I look back and see, man, I didn't feel God's presence, but I can see that he was there. Or, or ask something like, you know, in what areas of my life have I struggled? Or what sins do I need to remove from my life? In what ways did I pursue holiness and where did I need work? What things am I believing in, in that only God can do in 2024? Those are the kind of questions that we can begin to ask spiritually. And there are, of course, many more uh, that, that we can just focus on it and go, okay, spiritually, where am I? Where do I stand? 
How are things going? You know, because we, we look at that in every other realm of our life. Like we get on the scales and we check that out. You know, we go to the doctor and we get checked out there. So why don't we take the time to look spiritually as well? And hopefully because you're here or you're watching and worshiping online, you're doing that. Uh, because that's what today is really all about. Because one of the most consistent questions I get year in and year out uh, after 15 or so years of ministry is this. How can I know, how can I be sure that I'm right with God? Even in the last couple of weeks, we, we've dealt with that question with, with, with some folks. And it's not just uh, unique to student ministry. Yes, students ask that question a lot. And I get to, to, to walk through that with people a lot. But it's, it's adults. It's all the way up. Uh, from kids to adults. How can I know that I'm right with God? How can I know that I'm saved, that I'm eternally secure, that I'm, I'm headed, I'm bound for heaven, that whenever this, this life ends, there, there's a good life beyond this? How can I know I'm a real Christian? Because we, we studied, you know, a couple of years ago, the, the Unsaved Christian, the, the book that was written by Dan and Sarah about how cultural Christianity is taking over our nation. And there's a lot of people that say, I'm a Christian, but when you look at their life, it doesn't reflect that. And how that, that, that's troubling for us. So it's a question that, that we want to be sure about. Uh, and, and there's a lot of reasons that we ask this question. Maybe uh, you've experienced uh, something this year that, that made you question God's love. You, you went through something hard and difficult and you were like, man, what are you doing, God? Or do you really love? How can you love me if this is happening? And, and so you begin to question God's love and, and the enemy kind of began to, to nag at you and, and attack you in that area. Or maybe you realize that you haven't been living in obedience in a specific area. You know, as you look back over the last year, you know, there's been this one thing that's just always coming up, that's always happening, that's always pulling you away, that's always causing you to trip up. And you haven't been obedient, you haven't given that over to God, you haven't trusted him with that. You're still hanging on to that, trying to control it or whatever it is, you're trying to handle it on your own. Or maybe you just got a fresh realization of your depravity. And it's God's grace, and it just doesn't seem attainable because you know, man, I know my own sins, right? We know our own hearts, our own sins, and so sometimes it's hard for us to go, man, how could God give up his son for me? And so we begin to question, we begin to doubt, we begin to ask, how can I know that I know that I know that I'm right with God? And so regardless of where you are, maybe you're in that spot where, you know what, you're right, and you're living right with God. And you're confident in your salvation. You're confident in your walk with Christ. Praise God. That's awesome. Because regardless of where we are, we can still look and we can still assess and we can still discern where we need to be and where, how we need to grow, right? So, so my prayer for, for us this morning is that uh, we'll be attentive and we'll listen uh, as I endeavor to unpack this truth and, and, and walk through this. And that you would listen to the Holy Spirit, not being offended by my words. Uh, but trusting God as he speaks truth to you, having an open heart, open mind, being really ready and willing to act in obedience as the Holy Spirit moves, no matter how difficult it might be. So if that's you this morning, if you're ready for that, I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able and turn to James chapter 2 with me. And we're going to start by, be re by reading James chapter 2, verses 14 through 20. When you got it, say Amen. I'll wait for the rest of you. Thank you, Ryan. All right, James chapter 2, verse 14. Let's read the word together. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. It says, 
What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has, who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day and stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Would you pray with me? Father, we look into your word this morning, we ask for wisdom, we ask for discernment, we ask for your Holy Spirit to move and speak truth to us as only you can, and help us, God, to be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church. You can be seated. So the book of James that we add, of course, chapter and verse to, uh, began as a letter, uh, and it's addressed to uh, believers in Jerusalem and, and around Jerusalem that had been scattered throughout the, the area because of persecution. And so James writes this letter uh, and begins by encouraging uh, the believers to stand strong even in the midst of difficult trials and tribulations and all those things, regardless of the temptations and things they face, stand strong, he says. And he wraps up chapter 1 with a reminder not just to read God's word, but to be doers of the word, right? To, to not just read it and gloss over it, but actually do what it says. And he jumps into chapter 2 uh, to describe what that looks like. He begins talking about taking care of orphans and widows and people who can't take care of themselves, specifically believers. And he addresses that issue specifically as he walks into to the, 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 the part of, uh, first part, excuse me. Deep breath. The first part of chapter two, uh, there were people who claimed to know Christ, who, who claimed to follow him, but didn't reflect it in their actions. They had people that were among them who couldn't take care of themselves, who couldn't provide themselves with food and clothing, and they were ignoring it. Uh, they weren't caring for those people who couldn't care for themselves. So James elaborates on this question of what real faith looks like in the passage that we just read uh, to help them and to help us understand what it looks like to have genuine faith in Christ. As I mentioned earlier, this is still a common question that people ask, uh, no matter the age of, of how can I know that I have real faith? How can I know I'm right with God? And so we want to break this down for a moment. If you've got your outline there from checking in, uh, you'll see number one on your outline. And, and the first thing we want to observe and talk about is faith without good works is not faith. Faith without good works is not faith. James says it's dead, it's impossible to save you. And so let's talk about that for a moment. We see it in verse 17. He says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Faith by itself isn't enough. Wouldn't many of us and wouldn't Paul say this is heresy? Right? Faith alone, we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. So what is James saying? Because Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. 
It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. So do James and Paul disagree in what they're saying? One says, faith isn't enough. You need good deeds. And then Paul says, well, good deeds is not what saves you. So what are they saying here? What, how, how do we resolve this? Well, first of all, they don't disagree. But we do need to redefine or, or define some, some terms and look deeper into this context, because uh, into the language used, because the English uh, the English language doesn't really help us understand these things very well. They use a lot of the same words for different meanings, right? Just think about the word love. It has at least four meanings in Scripture uh, that we all read and interpret as love. We say we love chicken and we love hamburgers. We also say we love our kids and our wife and our family and we love God. Can that all mean the same thing? I hope not. Because like there are hamburgers that are good, but they're not God good, right? I mean, come on, there's a good steak, and I love it, you know, but it's not, you know, creator of the world good. So we got to clarify some terms. So let's look at this. Both James and Paul reference law in their writings. If you read out through, through Galatians, Ephesians, Paul talks about the law. James here in chapter 2 talks about the law. And so let's read, uh, go back a little bit in James 2 and read verse 8 to help us understand this. He says, yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. So this royal law that James mentions is found in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. And it would be in agreement with what we, um, what we call the greatest commandments that Jesus talked about in Matthew 22 and Mark 12 and Luke 10. We put it very simply as love God and love people, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We talked about that a lot recently from Deuteronomy. And then Jesus said, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor the same way you love yourself. So the same way you take care of yourself, the same way you think about yourself, love your neighbor that way. This would also align with the command Jesus gave to his disciples and us in John 13. Uh, just before he would go to the cross, he said, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. How do we prove to the world that we're, we're in Christ, that we're his disciples, that we're followers of Jesus, that we're right with God? Your love for one another. So this is the royal law that James is referencing, even as he goes into 14 through 20, that we read. These are the good deeds that he's talking about, right? So then verse 10, it says... For the person who keeps all of the laws, this is the Old Testament law, different law, except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. He says, if you're not an adulterer, but you're a murderer, you're guilty of it all, right? So if you break one of God's commandments, you're guilty of all of God's commandments. And let's be real. Is there anybody that's lived that hasn't broken more than one? Only Jesus, right? So we know that we're guilty of the Old Testament law, and that's what he's referring to here. James makes it clear that anyone who has broken any one of these laws is guilty of breaking all of the laws, and therefore you're not right before God. So then how can James say that good deeds are a requirement for salvation? Because he's not talking about the good works of the Old Testament law as a means to earn salvation, He's talking about the good works of love that result from true faith in Christ. Hope you can see the difference there. And if you, if you need more deeper study, read Galatians, specifically chapter 5 and Ephesians. And, and, and you kind of see they're using law in the English translation for two different things here. 
All right? And think about this. You've heard people use this verse. I know why it's difficult because we've heard people use this verse and verses like it to add things and add requirements to, the, to salvation that aren't biblical. Right? Think, think about the false teachers in the church at Galatia. Uh, they were trying to require circumcision as a part of salvation. Right? And so Paul sends the whole letter that we call the book of Galatians to address that false teaching. He says, no, circumcision is of no use for those who are in Christ. It doesn't matter which way or, or not. That, that's not the point, right? Uh, or, or think about the church in Corinth who uh, valued speaking in tongues above all other gifts and said, this is the gift. And if you don't have this gift, you're in trouble, right? That there, there's letters to correct those false teaching. That's not what James is doing here. He's not adding to the gospel. He's not adding to salvation what he's saying is that the result of salvation produces works. James and Paul, for that matter, make it abundantly clear that anyone who claims to have faith in Jesus that does not result in life change toward deeds of love does not have faith at all. So faith without good works is not faith. Secondly, faith resulting in good works is inevitable. If you truly believe in Christ, if you have that relationship with him, that the point that James is making is that it's not possible for someone to have a true life-changing encounter with Christ that leads to repentance and faith in the gospel and then keep living just like they always have, just like everyone else. He basically says, what would the point of that be? What would the point of us claiming faith and not living any differently, what, what's the point of that? Right? Or you might say, why would Jesus die if the law had power to save us? Why would Jesus die if we weren't going to change, be changed by him? In verse 15, he says, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? Right? What good is that? What is the point of that? Specifically, James is addressing this issue that if you don't care for brothers and sisters in Christ who live among you and can't care for themselves, then how can you claim that the Holy Spirit is in you? He says you can't make that claim, and therefore he is not. That's not faith. It might be intellectual belief or an emotional response to the beauty of the gospel, but it's not true faith. And this is where it gets difficult and this is where it gets tense and uncomfortable because we begin to play the things in our life and our mind and we begin to squirm. And if you're like me, you begin to make excuses for this is why I haven't done this, that's why I haven't done that. And we do need to clarify, James is talking specifically about taking care of other believers. Now we can talk on a different day about taking care of others that are in need that are not believers. But he says, look, if you won't take care of the people basically in your church, who have need that you know about, and you say to them, hey, peace out, have a good day, hope you have a good meal and stay warm, that's not faith. You're missing the point, he says. And it's easy for us to get uncomfortable and make excuses, but I hope, as I said earlier, that you'll take a minute and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Because what he's also saying in a more general but very real sense is that if you look at your own life before you claim to have met Christ and look at your life now, and the only difference is that you come to church on Sunday occasionally, then it's likely that you don't have real faith at all because true faith will inevitably result 
in a changed life that produces good works. You can't claim to know Jesus and hang on to the world. Those two don't mix. There's no gray area here. There's, there, there's no ifs and buts here. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2.10, just after what we read earlier. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew, given us a new heart, a new life in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Those are the good deeds that we're talking about. Good works of love and care for other people, specifically brothers and sisters in Christ, is the undeniable evidence of the Holy Spirit in us. These are the acts that don't make sense, the things that people do that the world goes, man, what did this, how did this happen? Uh, th- There's a story that I used years ago that I, I remembered and, and brought, I had to look up. Her name is Mary Johnson. This is a lady who lives next door to her son's murderer because her son was shot in gang violence when he was young and this kid went to prison and several years later because she was a Christian she reached out to him to talk to him and eventually they met together and she forgave him and and they began meeting together regularly and so when he was released from prison she talked to her landlord so that he could live next to her and, and they treat each other like son and mother Those are the kind of acts of love that that James is talking about. Those things that don't make sense to the world, those things that separate us from the world. When people forgive that way or when people love and care, they give up so much stuff that we value. Their home, they sell their home. I was talking to Ross this week and somebody that's that's young, has a new kid, they've sold everything they've got except a, a couple of bags because they're going to be missionaries. In a place where, where God is not welcome, where, where Jesus is not welcome. Those are the kind of acts that salvation produces. And it, it can be those grand things, but yes, it's just everyday acts where, where you're obedient to God. And, and God says, you need to go talk to that person and you go talk to them. And it may lead to a conversation about Jesus or it may not. But somebody else may hear it that leads them to Christ or who knows how God used it. But it's those moments where we're obedient to the Holy Spirit. Those are the good works that James and Paul are referring to. Those are the things that are inevitable if you are in Christ. The bitterness, the unforgiveness, the hatred, the anger, those are the things that are not characteristic of someone who's in Christ. Are they things we still struggle with? Yes, but they are not how we are identified. And if you're still using that same excuse of, well, that's just how I am, or that's how my dad was, that's how my mom was, that's just how we do. And my question is, has God changed your life? Has God really changed your life if you're still doing that? Because the the third point this morning is that faith earned from good works is fake. Again, I'm using a play on words here because I'm using good works in the the same way that these guys are. But, But listen to me because this is what they're saying. What I mean and what I believe James is teaching us is that if you're still hanging your hat, if you're still putting all your eggs in the fact that you keep the Old Testament law and the Ten Commandments, that you're a good boy or a good girl and and that you've been through some religious ritual and and you give to the church or you spend time serving and that's the only evidence you have for your salvation in Christ, then you're building your life in eternity on a fake pretense because no one is good enough to earn their way to heaven. You interview thousands of people on the street and half the people in church and they say, well, I hope I'm good enough. Guys, that's not it because you're not. 
I'm not, we are not good enough to earn our way back to God. That's why Jesus came and died on that cross and was raised from the dead and why he will come again to gather his church because he is the only one who is good enough to pay the price for our sins. He is the only one that we can have faith in and be saved. Look at James 2.18. It says, now some may argue Some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Again, we need to clarify some things here, right? Remember, good deeds here is not obedience to the law as a means to earn salvation. Good deeds refers to the loving actions that result from true faith in Christ. Because I said, a person can do all kinds of good things, things that the world says are good, things that look good on paper, obey the Ten Commandments to the letter, on the outward appearance, everything looks good. They still don't know Christ. Think about the Pharisees again, or even Paul himself. These guys are in every way, uh, outward way, they observed the law to near perfection, right? They kept it to a T. They, they gave their tithe. They kept those Ten Commandments. But they missed the point of them. They had no love for others. Right? Jesus scolded the, the, the Pharisees because they gave their 10%, 10% of, of spices. But then they neglected the people around them that, that were in need of, of uh, everyday things. And remember verse 10 of James 2, if you're guilty of one part of the law, you're guilty of all of it. These men were guilty and had no idea. Didn't realize it because they missed the point. They missed God. They, they even viewed themselves as so good and other people as such lowly sinners uh, that they missed the Messiah that they had been waiting for. That they had been taught about all their lives. Because they were so concerned with themselves, their stance, their worldly appearance. They missed it. What God's word teaches us and what James is revealing to us is what really matters is our heart. Not how good you perform according to the Old Testament law, but your heart has been changed so that now your life looks differently. David Platt puts it this way. James is saying it's possible to claim to have faith, but not actually have it. To claim to have faith, but not be saved. The tough part of this, you can fool me. You can fool Ross, you can fool your family, your parents, you can can fool uh, people that you work with sometimes, you can fool a Sunday school teacher, a life group leader, you can fool some friends, but eventually you can't fool Christ. And really you can't fool yourself, right? Because it it can can go on for a a while. You, You can hold out and you can look really good for a time. But eventually, fake fruit will reveal itself. Eventually, the things come to light, right? But Because you can only live like Jesus for so long without Jesus. You can't live for Christ without Christ. You can try real hard. And I remember being at youth camps and stuff when I was growing up. And I think, man, I'm going to try so hard now. I'm going to do so much better because... Even though I believe I was a Christian, I was still trying to earn it, man. 
I was still trying to fix things and, and I was still trying to live up to man's standard for what Christianity looked like. And, and I was going hard to try real hard. I was going to read my Bible every day and, and I would make New Year's resolutions. I remember getting the one-year Bible, you know, Bible in a year, and it was all set up day by day what you had to read. I'm going to do it this year. Man, every time you get to Leviticus, it just falls off. And it's like, man, I tried so hard, but I'm still not good enough. And so a lot of my high school days were frustration because I didn't understand God's grace. And I wasn't allowing God to change my heart, you know, and I wasn't giving things to him. I was trying real hard to be good, and I couldn't. And eventually all those things reveal themselves. And you have to go, man, am I resting in my own good deeds or the finished work of Jesus? As I said, the Pharisees, man, they were so good that they ignored the evidence for Jesus being the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. Your religious attempts to earn salvation will eventually be exposed because you need the Holy Spirit to live holy. You know your heart. You know your motivations. You know all the things that drive you and why you do what you do. You know when you're seeking to appease God with religious acts. And we are seeking to serve him out of love. And if that's still confusing, man, take time today to say, God, I need clarification on this. I need clarity. I need peace about where I stand with you. And only God can give that to you. You know, I can talk to you and I can, I can talk about what I see in you, but I can't say you're, you're saved. I can't, I can't make that judgment. But, but, but God will. He'll give you that peace. It's not like he's holding out on you or, or withholding truth or trying to trick you or that he's unwilling to save you. That's not it at all. He is willing, ready, and able to save anyone and everyone, even you, if you will repent of sin and place your faith in his finished work today. Remember, this is eternity we're dealing with. This is not just something that, that makes us a better person on earth. This is our eternity there's no sense in putting it off or waiting for the right moment or leaving things to a maybe. Let's get this right today. Because Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about this, and I'll just read the last verse, but he says, you know, you, essentially, these are his words, but he said, you, you're not going to go pick an apple from an a orange tree. You, you're not going to go get olives from a grapevine, right? He says in verse 20 of Matthew 7, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So we can observe the actions of others and learn a lot about where they stand with God. But in this case, we need to inspect our own fruit. We need to reflect on our own lives, our own beliefs, our own actions, our own motivations. And we need to get right with God today. If James is still too confusing or if I've said so many things that you're kind of in limbo, I don't want you to leave there so Another way that I, I help our students understand this is describing a disciple according to Jesus' words in Matthew 4, 19. He says, follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. So there's, there's three things as we close that I think you can take home, you can write down, and you can look back on and, and say, okay, where do I stand with Jesus? And the first one, is, he says, follow me. So have you had a life-changing encounter with Jesus that began a real relationship with him based on faith? As a result of God's grace, are you, excuse me, are you really following Jesus? 
Not just claiming to know Christ and living no different, but are you really following Jesus? Are you living out the way he lived? Not out of guilt or obligation, but because you have a new heart as a result of believing the gospel. Again, James talks about this in verse 19. I'm, I'm not asking if you responded intellectually and you believe there is a God or that you responded emotionally. He says even the demons do that and, and they respond emotionally to the reality of Jesus. They, they shudder in fear. I'm asking you if your life has been transformed, resulting in willful obedience to God. Are you following Jesus? The second one, Jesus says, I will make you. So he, he molds us and shapes us and forms us once we know him and are following him. So are you allowing God to shape you and mold you through spiritual disciplines and willful obedience? Are you putting yourself in the position to grow spiritually? Are you spending time in worship and prayer and reading the word and in service? And are you giving joyfully so that the Holy Spirit has easy access to transform your heart and life? And we can't expect God to change us if we don't take the time to meet with him. We can't expect God to change us simply by coming to church once a week or once a month. Right? That's the same as, as going to class one time a week and then taking the test. It's not going to work out real well. Right? So we need to put ourselves in that position. And the last thing, he says, fish for people. Are you committed to the mission of Jesus? What Jesus taught his disciples and what he teaches us through his word is that there's something beyond just right now. There's something beyond the work that we do to earn money and to live. There's a purpose that goes beyond our lifetime that matters for eternity. So do, you, do, you, do people know you're a Christian by the love and grace that you extend to others? As a result of the love and the mercy you've been shown in the gospel, are you actively sharing the gospel with those who don't know Christ? And actively training those who know Christ to become disciple makers. How are you investing in, in the people around you? How are you pouring into those to make more disciples who can make more disciples so that a hundred years from now, people are still trusting in Christ. People are still following him. I hope that, that you hear my heart in this because as we close, we're going to sing a song of invitation and then we're going to have a, a time of communion. And so this is the time for you to make sure that you're right with God. And, and, and it can, can be about salvation, but sometimes we're, we're living in disobedience as followers of Christ too. You know, maybe there's that person that you need to go and forgive or, or someone even in this room that you need to go and, and have a conversation with and make things right before you take communion, right? Because Jesus told us like if, if you're there offering your gift at the altar and realize that you have a brother who's offended you, that you should go and make things right with that brother before you come and offer your gift. And I would encourage you, before you take the Lord's Supper, to make sure things are right. If there's sin that you need to confess, then take time to confess it. Take this time to reflect and to pray and to forgive, to confess, to repent, to ask for forgiveness, and ultimately prepare your heart to receive communion. Even as we sing, whenever you're ready, we're going to invite you to, to form a line along the outside walls and come up and take communion. It's there in the, the prepackaged uh, cup and, and wafer for you. So you don't have to wait on me, but just wait on the Holy Spirit so that you know that you're right before you take it. Okay? Because remember, we do this in remembrance of the life that Jesus laid down for us and the blood that he shed for us on the cross until he returns. 
And we want to do that in the right way. And so we're going to take a moment. I want to ask you to stand to your feet, to bow your heads. As we sing this song, Christ is my firm foundation. That's the best way to say it. Is I don't want any of us to be building our faith on something other than Jesus. So let's take a moment and pray. And if you need to come to this altar, I'll be down here. Ross will be down here. And then when you're ready, go on the outside, take communion, and come back to the inside and have a seat. Father, we need you in this moment. We need clarity. We need peace and discernment. Because I know that in a room with people this size, God, there, there are those who don't know you as Lord and Savior. And I plead with you, Holy Spirit, to move in their hearts now. To bring conviction and lead them to repentance because of your kindness and your goodness. I'm sure there are those who have struggled with sin continually and they want to be done with it. God, I pray that you would give them freedom today and that you would help them to take steps to continue to walk in freedom. There are many who who may have conflict with people that they love or they need your grace to resolve it they need your grace your holy spirit to help them love as they have been loved to extend forgiveness god we need you now and we ask you to move help us to be obedient help us to listen and do as your holy spirit leads in jesus name